a few pages on any subject. Then compare those pages with the writing you have done in the early morning. You will find a definite difference between the two. You have insensibly altered your own emphasis and inflection in the direction of the authors in whom you have been engrossed. Sometimes the similarity is so striking as to be almost ludicrous, although you intended no parody and may even have intended to write as independently as possible. We can leave it to the psychologists to discover that this is so, and to explain why it should be. Find your own style. The important matter is to find your own style, your own subjects, your own rhythm, so that every element in your nature can contribute to the work of making a writer of you. Study your own pages, among them you are to find some idea m-preferably, this time, a fairly simple one m-which offers you a good, obvious nucleus for a short story, an expanded anecdote, say, of the New Yorker's style, or a brief essay. Story material will be best. Anything that is there in your early morning work has real value, for you. You will have something to say on the subject which is 140 Becoming a Writer More than superficial comment. Abstract your idea from its too discursive setting and get down to the matter of considering it seriously. The story in embryo. What shall you make of it? Remember, you are to look for a simple idea m-something that can be finished in one sitting. Then, in that case, what will it need? Emphasis. Characters to embody in concrete form the speculations you have made in your sleepy state? Does it need to have certain factors made very plain, so that the conflict, whatever it is, runs no danger of seeming unimportant or of being overlooked? When you have decided what can and should be made of it, consider the details with care. The preparatory period. Mind you, you are not yet to write it. The work you are doing on it is preliminary. For a day or two you are going to immerse yourself in these details, you are going to think about them consciously, turning, if necessary to books of reference to fill in your facts. Then you are going to dream about it. You are going to think of the character Sipa. The Practice Story 141. Rayleigh, then in combination. You are going to do everything you can for that story by using alternately your conscious intelligence and unconscious reverie on it. There will seem no end to the stuff that you can find to work over. What does the heroine look like? Was she an only child, or the eldest of seven? How was she educated? Does she work? Now perform the same labor on the hero, and on any secondary characters you need to bring the story to life. Then turn your attention to the scene, and to those background scenes in each character's life which you may never need to write of, but a knowledge of which will make your finished story that much more convincing point when you have done everything you can in this way, say to yourself, at 10 o'clock on Wednesday, next day I will begin to write it, and then dismiss it from your mind. Now and then it will rise to the surface. You need not reject it with violence, but... In his latest book, It Was the Nightingale, Ford Maddox Ford says, On just this point, I may dash and quite frequently do dash plan out every scene, sometimes even every conversation, in a novel, before I sit down to write it. But unless I know the history back to the remotest times of any place of which I am going to write I cannot begin the work. And I must know dash from personal observation, not reading, the shapes of windows, the nature of doorknobs, the aspect of kitchens, the material of which dresses are made, the leather used in shoes, the method used in manuring fields, the nature of bus tickets. I shall never use any of these things in the book. 
but unless I know what sort of doorknob his fingers closed on how shall I am dash satisfactorily to myself and dash get my character out of doors? This book will be found full of valuable sidelights on the process of literature. 142 Becoming a Writer. Reject it. You are not ready for it yet, let it subside again. Three days will do it no harm, will even help it. But when ten o'clock strikes on Wednesday you sit down to work. Writing confidently. Now, strike out at once. Just as you made yourself do the time exercises in the sixth chapter, take no excuses, refuse to feel any stage fright, simply start working. If a good first sentence does not come, leave a space for it and write it in later. Write as rapidly as possible, with as little ebb and shine to your own processes, as you can give. Try to work lightly and quickly, beginning and ending each sentence with a good, clear stroke. Reread very little and dash only a sentence or two now and then to be sure you are on the true course. In this way you can train yourself into good, workmanlike habits. The typewriter or the reading pad should not appear to you a good place to lose yourself in musing, or to work out matters you should have cleared up before. You may find it very helpful, before you begin to write, to settle on a first and last sentence for your story. Then you can use the first sentence as a springboard from which to dive into your work, and the last, as a raft to swim toward. The Practice Story 143 A finished experiment the exercise must end with a completed piece of work, no matter how long you labor at it. Later you will learn how to do writing which cannot be finished at a sitting. The best way is to make another engagement with yourself, before you rise from the typewriter, and while the heat of work is still on you. You will find, if you do this that you will come to meet yourself, as it were, in the same mood, and there will not be a noticeable alteration in the manner of your writing between one session and the next. But this story is to be finished on the day you begin it. Whether or not you are going to like it, when you read it later, whether or not you decide that you can do a better version of it, if you try again, the exercise is not done properly, unless you rise from the session with a complete practice story. Time for detachment put it away, and if your curiosity will let you, leave it alone for two or three days. At the very least let it stay in red overnight. Your judgment on it, until you have slept is worth exactly nothing. One of two states of mind will interfere with any earlier appraisal. If you belong to one half the 144 becoming a writer. Writing race, you will be worn and discouraged, and, reading your own story over with fatigue clouding every line, you will think it the dullest, most improbable, flattest tale ever told. Even if you reread it more favorably later, when you are freshened by sleep and diversion, a memory of that first verdict is likely to cause you to wonder which of the judgments is right. And if the story is rejected by the first editor who sees it, you are likely to think that it is as bad as you feared, and you may refuse to give it another chance. The other half of the Brotherhood seems not to use up the last ounce of its energy in getting a story to its close. They, on reading their recent effort, will be still held by the impulse which set them writing in the first place. If they have fallen into errors of judgment, if they have been too verbose or compact, the same astigmatism that was responsible for the mistake in the first place will still operate to blind them to it. You are simply not ready to read your story objectively, when it is newly finished, and there are writers who cannot trust their objectivity toward their own work much under a month. So put it away and turn your attention to something else. Now is the time of times for the reading which you have been denying yourself.
your story is safely written, and will preserve the marks of your personality so tenaciously that not the... The Practice Story 145 Deepest admiration for the work of another writer will be likely to endanger it. If even reading seems too great an effort, find some mild relaxation which takes your attention quite away from authorship. If you can make a definite break in your routine just here, so much the better. Some writers have an immediate impulse to begin work on another story, if you feel it, by all means give in to it. But if you feel that you never want to see paper and typewriter again, indulge yourself in that mood, too. The Critical Reading When you are refreshed, relaxed, and detached, take out your story and read it. The chances are that you will find a great deal more in your manuscript than you are conscious of having put there. Something was at work, for you, while you wrote. Scenes which you thought absolutely vital to the proper telling of the story are not there at all, other scenes which you had not planned to write take their places. The char actors have traits you had hardly realized. They have said things you had not thought of having them say. Here is a sentence cleverly emphasized which you had thought of as only a casual statement, but which needed that emphasis, if the story, 146 Becoming a Writer, was to be shapely. In short, you have written both less and more than you intended. Your conscious mind had less to do with it, your unconscious mind more, than you would have believed possible. 15. The Great Discovery. The five-finger exercises of writing now those are the five-finger exercises of writing. To recapitulate, before we go further, for you can hardly hear too often these primary truths about your art, the writer, like every artist, is a dual personality. In him the unconscious flows freely. He has trained himself so that the physical effort of writing does not tire him out of all proportion to the effect he achieves. His intellect directs, criticizes, and discriminates wherever two possible courses present themselves, in such a way as to leave the more sensitive element of his nature free to bring forth its best fruit. He. 147. 148 Becoming a Writer. Learns to use his intellect both cursively, as he works, and later, as he considers what he has done during the period of the creative flow. He replaces by conscious intention, and day by day, the drains made on his funds of images, sensations, and ideas, by keeping awake to new observations. Ideally, the two sides of his nature are at peace with each other and work in harmony, at the least he must be able to suppress one or the other at discretion. Each side of his character must learn to be able to trust the other to do what is in its field and to carry the full responsibility for its own work. He restrains each side of his mind to its own functions, never allowing the conscious to usurp the privilege of the unconscious, and vice versa. Now we go a little more deeply into the contribution of the unconscious, and the piece of writing you have just finished is your laboratory specimen. If you have worked according to instructions, foreseeing, as many of the points of your story, as you were able to, if you thought and daydreamed about the story without beginning to write prematurely, if then, when you had promised yourself to write you got straight to work without hesitation or apology, it is very nearly certain that the resulting piece of writing will be both shapelier and fuller than you could have expected. The story will be balanced in a way which... The Great Discovery 149 seems more adroit than you would have believed possible. The characters will be more fully, more expertly drawn, and at the same time drawn with more economy, than if you had labored at them with all your conscious mind in action. 
In short, a faculty has been at work which so far we have hardly considered. The higher imagination, you may call it, your own endowment of genius, great or small, the creative aspect of your mind, which is lodged almost entirely in the unconscious. The root of genius. For the root of genius is in the unconscious, not the conscious, mind. It is not by weighing, balancing, trimming, expanding with conscious intention, that an excellent piece of art is born. It takes its shape and has its origin outside the region of the conscious intellect. There is much that the conscious can do, but it cannot provide you with genius, or with the talent that is genius' second cousin. Unconscious, not subconscious. But we are badly handicapped, when we come to talk or write of it, for the mind is not yet fully. 150 Becoming a Writer. Explored. And there is an even more serious difficulty to be encountered. When the Freudian psychology first reached us, we began to hear, unfortunately for us, about the subconscious. Freud himself has corrected that error in terminology, and it is the unconscious that is now mentioned in the canonical works. But for most of us, that lucky sub carried a derogatory connotation, and we have not entirely freed ourselves from the idea that the unconscious is, in some way, a less laudable part of our makeup than our conscious mind. F.W.H. Myers, in his excellent chapter on genius in human personality which should be read by every prospective author fell subject to the same temptation and spoke continually of the subliminal approach. Now the unconscious is not, in its entirety, either below or less than the conscious mind. It includes in its scope everything which is not in the forefront of our consciousness, and has a reach, as far above our average intellect, as it has depths below. The Higher Imagination this spatial terminology is also unfortunate. The thing to realize is that the unconscious must be trusted to bring you aid from a higher level than that on which you ordinarily function. Any. The Great Discovery 151. Art must draw on this higher content of the unconscious as well as on the memories and emotions stored away there. A sound and gifted person is one who draws on and uses continually these resources, who lives in peace and amity with all the reaches of his being, not one who suppresses, at the cost of infinite energy and vitality, every echo from the far region. Come to terms with the unconscious. The unconscious should not be thought of as a limbo where vague, cloudy, and amorphous no shines swim hazily about. There is every reason to believe, on the contrary, that it is the great home of form that it is quicker to see types, patterns, purposes, than our intellect can ever be. Always, it is true, you must be on the watch, lest a too heavy exuberance sweep you away from a straight course, always you must direct and control the excess of material which the unconscious will offer. But if you are to write well you must come to terms with the enormous and powerful part of your nature which lies behind the threshold of immediate knowledge. If you can learn to do this, you have less tearing, difficult labor to perform than you believed you had, when you first turned to writing. There is. 152 Becoming a Writer. A great field of technical knowledge which the writer can study, many shortcuts to effectiveness which can be learned by taking thought. Yet on the whole it is the unconscious which will decide on both the form and the matter of the work which you are planning, and which will, if you can learn to rely on it, give you a far better and more convincing result.
if you are not continually meddling with its processes and imposing on it your own notions of the plausible, the desirable, the persuasive, according to some formula which you have painstakingly extracted from a work on the technique of fiction, or laboriously plotted out for yourself from long study of stories in print. The artistic coma and the writer's magic. The true genius may live his life long without ever realizing how he works. He will know only that there are times when he must, at all costs, have solitude, time to dream, to sit idle. Often he himself believes that his mind is empty. Sometimes we hear of gifted men who are on the verge of despair, because they feel they are going through a barren period, but suddenly the time of silence is past, and they have reached the moment. The Great Discovery 153. When they must write. That strange, aloof, detached period has been called the artistic coma by observers shrewd enough to see that the idleness is only a surface stillness. Something is at work, but so deeply and wordlessly that it hardly gives a sign of its activity till it is ready to externalize its vision. The necessity which the artist feels to indulge himself in solitude, in rambling leisure, in long speechless periods, is behind most of the charges of eccentricity and boorishness that are leveled at men of genius. If the period is recognized and allowed for, it need not have a disruptive effect. The artist will always be marked by occasional periods of detachment, the nameless faculty will always announce itself by an air of withdrawal and indifference, but it is possible to hasten the period somewhat, and to have it, to a limited extent, under one's control. To be able to induce at will the activity of that higher imagination, that intuition, that artistic level of the unconscious dash that is where the artist's magic lies, and is his only true secret. 16. The third person, genius. The writer not dual but triple. So, almost insensibly, one arrives at the understanding that the writer's nature is not dual but triple. The third member of the partnership is M-feeble or strong, constantly or spasmodically showing M-1's individual endowment of genius. The flashes of insight, the penetrating intuitions, the imagination which combines and transmutes ordinary experience into the illusion of a higher reality M-all these necessities of art, or, on a humbler level, all these necessities of any interpretation of life, come from a region beyond those. 155. 156 Becoming a Writer. We have been studying and learning to control. For most practical purposes it is enough to divide our minds roughly into conscious and unconscious, it is quite possible to live a lifetime, even the lifetime of an artist, without even so much comprehension of the mind's complexity. Yet by recognizing this third component of your nature, by understanding its importance to your writing, by learning to liberate it, to clear obstructions from its path, so that it may flow unimpeded into your work, you perform the most vital service of which you are capable to yourself as a writer. The Mysterious Faculty Now you begin to see the basis of truth for that discouraging statement, genius cannot be taught. In a sense, of course, that is the literal truth, but the implications are almost entirely misleading. You cannot add one grain to this faculty by all your conscious efforts, but there is no reason why you should desire to. Its resources at the feeblest are fuller than you can ever exhaust. What we need is not to add to that natural endowment, but to learn to use it. The great men of every period and race m so great that we call them, for simplicity's sake, by the name of that. The third person, genius 157. 
one faculty alone, as though in them it existed with no admixture, the geniuses M- are those who were able to free more of that faculty, for use in their lives and in their works of art than the rest of mankind. No human being is so poor as to have no trace of genius, none so great that he comes within infinity of using his own inheritance to the full. The average man fears, distrusts, ignores, or knows nothing of that element of his nature. In moments of deep emotion, in danger, in joy, occasionally when long sickness has quieted the body and the mind, sometimes in a remote, dim apprehension which we bring back with us from sleep, or from moments under an anesthetic, everyone has intimations of it. Traces of it may be seen at its most unmistakable and mysterious in the lives of the prodigies of music however mysterious and incomprehensible it is, it exists, and it is no more an infinite capacity for taking pains m- as the old definition of genius would have it m- than inspiration is perspiration, a pure American delusion, if ever there was one. The process of transmitting one's intuitive knowledge, of conveying one's insight at all satisfactorily, may be infinitely laborious. Years may be spent finding the words to set forth the illumination of A. Read any account of Mozart's life, for example. 158 Becoming a Writer. Moment. But to confuse the labor with the genius that instigated it is to be misled. When one learns to release this faculty even inexpertly, or, when it is released fortuitously, one finds that so far from having to toil anxiously and painstakingly for his effects one experiences, on the contrary, the miracle of being carried along on the creative current. Releasing genius often the release does come accidentally. It is possible for an artist to count on the energy from this region to carry out a book, story, a picture, and yet never recognize it. He may even go so far as to deny that any such thing, as genius is in question. He will assure you that, in his experience, it is all a matter of getting into his stride, but what getting into his stride implies he may never know, even though in that happy state he writes pages of clarity and beauty beyond anything of which he is capable in his pedestrian moments. Another may, in a burst of candor, tell you that after mulling an idea over till his head aches he comes to a kind of dead end, he can no longer think about his story or even understand why it once appealed to him. Much later, when he is least expecting it, the idea returns, mysteriously rounded and completed, ready for trans. The third person, genius 159. Cribbing. And so on. Most successful writers arrive at their own method of releasing this faculty by a trial and error process, so obscure that they can seldom offer a beginner in search of the secret so much, as a rule of thumb. Their reports of their writing habits are so at variance with each other that it is no wonder the young writer sometimes feels that his elders are all engaged in a conspiracy to delude and mislead him as to the actual process of literature. Rhythm, monotony, silence. There is no conspiracy, there is, I should say, remarkably little jealousy or personal envy between writers. They will tell you what they can, but the more instinctively they are artists the less they are able to analyze their ways of working. What one finally gets, after long cross-questionings, after raking through reports, is no explanation, but usually simple statements of personal experience. They agree in reporting that the idea of a book or story is usually apprehended in a flash. At that moment many of the characters, many of the situations, the story's outcome, all may be m-either dimly or vividly m-prefigured. Then there is a period of intensive thinking and working over of the ideas. With some authors this 
160 Becoming a writer. Is a period of great excitement, they seem intoxicated with the possibilities there before their minds. Later comes the quiescent period, and since almost every writer alive occupies himself in some quite idiosyncratic way in that interlude, it is seldom noticed that these occupations have a kind of common denominator. Horseback riding, knitting, shuffling and dealing cards, walking, whittling, you see they have a common denominator in dash of three figures, one might say. All these occupations are rhythmical, monotonous, and wordless. And that is our key. In other words, every author, in some way which he has come on by luck or long search, puts himself into a very light state of hypnosis. The attention is held, but just held, there is no serious demand on it. Far behind the mind's surface, so deep that he is seldom aware, unless at last observation of himself has taught him that any activity is going forward, his story is being fused and welded into an integrated work. A floor to scrub. With no more clue than that you might be able to find some such occupation of your own or you may recognize in some recurrent habit the promise of an occupation which would be useful. The third person, Genius 161. To you. But the disadvantage of most of these accidentally discovered time fillers is that they are only rude expedients. When they have been found they are seldom abandoned. Indeed, many readers reach a state of real superstition about the method which has worked for them. I'd be all right, if I had a floor to scrub, one of my pupils said to me, a professor's wife who had written in the intervals of bringing up a large family, and had found that her stories fell into line best, when she was at work on the kitchen floor. A little success had brought her to the city to study, she convinced herself completely that she would be unable to write again till she got back to the rhythmical monotony of the scrubbing brush. This is an extreme case, but there are many famous authors with superstitions, just as stubbornly and firmly, although less outspokenly, held as my Middle Western housemothers. And indeed most of the methods which have been discovered accidentally are as arbitrary, wasteful, and haphazard as scrubbing floors. There is a way to shorten that incubating period and produce a better piece of work. And that way is the writer's magic which you have been promised. 17. The Writer's Magic X is to mind, as mind to body. Let us pretend, for convenience, that this faculty, this genius which is present in all of us to a greater or less degree, has been isolated, on a list, and studied, and found to stand in relation to the mind, as the mind stands to the body. If the word genius is still too magniloquent a word for comfort, if you fear that under a wily guise you are being introduced to a spiritual quality which discomfits you, bear with the notions a little, well, and call the faculty under consideration just ordinary X. Now X is to be thought of like a factor in an algebraic equation M-163. 164 Becoming a Writer X, Mind, Mind, Body in order to think intensively you hold your body still, at the most you engage it in some light, mechanical task which you can carry on like an automaton. To get X into action, then, you must quiet the mind. This, you will observe, is exactly what those rhythmical, monotonous, wordless activities had as their obscure end. They were designed to hold mind as well as body in a kind of suspension, while the higher, or deeper, faculty was at work. In so far, as they were successful, they were adopted and used over and over. But they are usually awkward, unsatisfactory, and not always uniform in their results. 
Moreover, they usually take far more time than the unknown quality needs to fulfill its functions. So, if you are fortunate enough to be a young writer who has not yet found a formula for that gestation period of the story, you are in a position to learn a quicker and better way to attain the same end. Hold your mind still. It is, in short, this, learn to hold your mind as still as your body. For some this advice is so easy to take that they cannot believe anyone has difficulty in following it. If you belong to that happy group, do. The Writer's Magic 165. Not try any of the more intensive exercises that follow. You do not need them, and they will only confuse you. But as you come to this spot in the book, close the book over your finger and shut your eyes, holding your mind, for only a few seconds, as still as you can. Were you successful um dash, even if for only a fraction of a moment? If you have never tried it before, you may be surprised and confounded to find how busy, fluttering, and restless your mind seems. The chattering monkey, an Indian will say of his mind, half in scorn, half in indulgence, much as street. Francis of Assisi called his body, my brother, the ass. It scatters around like a water bug. One experimenter exclaimed, in surprise. But it will stop scattering, for you, after a little practice, at least it will be still enough to suit your purposes. Practice in control. The best practice is to repeat this procedure once a day for several days. Simply close your eyes with the idea of holding your mind quite steady, but feeling no urgency or tension about it. Once a day, don't push it or attempt to force it. As you begin to get results, make the period a little longer, but never strain at it. If you discover that you cannot learn to do it. 166 Becoming a Writer So easily, try this way, choose a simple object, like a child's gray rubber ball. It is better not to select anything with a bright surface or a decided highlight. Hold the ball in your hand and look at it, confining your attention to that one simple object, and calling your mind back to it quietly, whenever it begins to wander. When you are able to think of the object and nothing else for some moments, take the next step. Close your eyes and go on looking at the ball, thinking of nothing else. Then see if you can let even that simple idea slip away. The last method is to let your mind scatter all it pleases, watching it indulgently, as it moves. Presently it will grow quieter. Don't hurry it. If it will not be entirely quiet, it will probably be still enough. The story idea as the object. When you have succeeded, even a little, try holding a story idea, or a character, in your mind, and letting your stillness center around that. Presently you will see the almost incredible results. Ideas which you held rather academically and unconvincingly will take on color and form, a character that was a puppet will move and breathe. Consciously or unconsciously every successful writer who ever lived calls on this faculty to put the breath of life into his creations. The Writer's Magic 167. Now you are ready to try the process in more extended form. The Magic in Operation. Since this is practice work only, although more may come of the ideas you practice on than you expect, you may go at it rather mechanically. Choose any story idea at random. If you do not like to use one of your own cherished plots for this, here is a variation that will work as well. Replace the character of a well-known book by someone you know in real life. If your sister had played the role of Becky Sharp, for example, what course would Vanity Fair have had to follow? Suppose Gulliver had been a woman. How vague, stiff, or incomplete the idea is, is of no importance. For our purposes, 
The less satisfactory it seems at the moment the more complete the demonstration of the method's effectiveness. Make a rough outline of the story. Decide on the main characters, then the secondary characters. See as plainly as possible what crucial situation you would like to put them into, and how you would like to leave them at the end. Don't worry about getting them either in or out of their dilemma, simply see them in it, and then see it resolved. Remember here the circle and ring experiment, and that envisaging the end was enough to set the means in motion. 168 Becoming a Writer Think over the whole story in a sort of pleasant, indulgent mood, correcting any obvious absurdities, reminding yourself of this or that item which you would like to include, if it could be brought in naturally. Now take that rough draft of a story out for a walk with you. You are going to walk till you are just mildly tired, and at that time you should be back at your starting place, gauge your distance by that. Get into a smooth and easy swing, not vigorous and athletic m-lazy, loafing walk is better at first, although it may become more rapid later. Now think about your story, let yourself be engrossed in it m-but think of it as a story, not of how you are going to write it, or what means you will use to get this or that effect. Refuse to let yourself be diverted by anything outside. As you circle back to your starting place, think of the story's end, as though you were laying it aside after reading it. Inducing the artistic coma. Now bathe, still thinking of it in a desultory way, and then go into a dim room. Lie down, flat on your back, the alternative position, to be chosen only, if you find that the other makes you too drowsy, is to sit not quite fully relaxed in a low. The Writer's Magic 169. Large Chair. When you have taken a comfortable position, do not move again, make your body quiet. Then quiet your mind. Lie there, not quite asleep, not quite awake. After a while m dash it may be 20 minutes, it may be an hour, it may be two m dash you will feel a definite impulse to rise, a kind of surge of energy. Obey it at once, you will be in a slightly somnambulistic state indifferent to everything on earth, except what you are about to write, dull to all the outer world but vividly alive to the world of your imagination. Get up and go to your paper or typewriter, and begin to write. The state you are in at that moment is the state an artist works in. Valedictory. How good a piece of work emerges depends on you and your life, how sensitive, how discriminating you are, how closely your experience reflects the experience of your potential readers, how thoroughly you have taught yourself the elements of good prose writing, how good a near you have for rhythm. But, limited or not, you will find, if you have followed the exercises, that you can bring forth a shapely, integrated piece of work by this method. It will have flaws, no doubt, but you will be able to see them objectively and work on. 170 Becoming a Writer. Eradicating them. By these exercises you have made yourself into a good instrument for the use of your own genius. You are flexible and sturdy, like a good tool. You know what it feels like to work as an artist. Now read all the technical books on the reading of fiction that you can find. You are at last in a position to have them do you some good. In conclusion, some prosaic pointers. Typewriting as soon as you can, learn to typewrite. Then, if possible, learn to compose on the typewriter. Unless you write very rapidly and plainly, a first draft written by hand is usually one long waste motion. But be sure that you are sacrificing nothing in making the shift from handwriting to writing on a machine. There are persons who are never able to get the same qualities in the machine-written work which they can catch by the more leisurely method. 
Write two rather similar ideas, one by each method, compare the two. If the typewritten draft is more abrupt, if you find 171, 172 becoming a writer, that ideas escape you there which are found in your handwritten draft, composing at the typewriter is not your proper method. Have two typewriters The professional writer should have two typewriters, a standard machine and a portable and preferably a noiseless portable. Choose machines with the same typeface, they should both be PICA, or both be Elite. This will enable you to write at your own convenience, in any room, at any free moment, or when traveling. And you can also leave an incompleted piece of work in the machine, as a mute reproach M-dash, if you find you need that. Stationary raid a stationary store. There are innumerable pencils on the market, of all grades of softness and several colors. Try them all, you may find the ideal pencil for your purposes. A medium soft lead is best for most writers, the pages do not smudge, yet no particular pressure is necessary when writing. Try bond paper and lead paper and dash paper. In conclusion, some prosaic pointers 173. With a sleek, smooth finish. Many amateurs use a bond paper, because they have never had the good fortune to find the smoother finish, yet the grain in a bond paper may irritate them like the feeling of painted china. Try writing on loose paper, on pads of various sizes, and in notebooks. Have a notebook full of fresh sheets ready to take on any short journey. On a long journey carry typewriter paper and a portable machine, and make the most of your time. Don't buy the heaviest and most impressive grade of bond paper for your finished manuscripts. It makes too bulky and heavy a package, and the paper shows wear more quickly than the less expensive grades. A good 16-pound paper is the way to ask for what you need. If the clerk doesn't understand you, find a better stash ironery store. At the typewriter, write. Teach yourself as soon as possible to work the moment you sit down to a machine, or settle yourself with pad and pencil. If you find yourself dreaming there, or biting your pencil end, get up and go to the farthest corner of the room. Stay there, while you are getting up steam. When you have your first sentence ready, go back to your 174 becoming a writer. Tools. If you steadily refuse to lose yourself in reverie at your work table, you will be rewarded by finding that merely taking your seat there will be enough to make your writing flow. If you are unable to finish a piece of work at one sitting, make an engagement with yourself to resume work before you rise from the table. You will find that this acts like a post-hypnotic suggestion in more ways than one. You will get back to the work without delay, and you will pick up the same notes with little difficulty, so that your story will not show as many different styles as a patchwork quilt when it is done. For coffee addicts. If you have an ingrained habit of putting off everything, until, after you have had your morning coffee, buy thermos bottle and fill it at night. This will thwart your wily unconscious in the neatest fashion. You will have no excuse to postpone work, while you wait for your stimulant. Coffee versus mate. If you tend to drink a great deal of coffee when in the throes of composition, try replacing half of. In conclusion, some prosaic pointers 175. It's my mate, a South American drink much like tea, but stimulating and innocuous. It can be bought at any large grocer's, and is very easy to prepare. Reading, 
If you are writing a manuscript so long that the prospect of not reading at all, until you have finished is too intolerable, be sure to choose books which are as unlike your own work as possible, read technical books, history, or, best of all, books in other languages. Book and magazine buying have periodical debauches of book buying and magazine buying, and try to formulate to yourself the editor's possible requirements from the type of periodical he issues. Buy a good handbook on fiction markets, and whenever you find an editor asking for manuscripts which sound like the type you are interested in writing, send for a copy of the magazine, if you cannot buy it nearer home. Bibliography. Edith Warden, The Writing of Fiction, Scribner, 1925. A. Quiller Couch, On the Art of Writing, Putnam, 1916. A. Quiller Couch, On the Art of Reading, Putnam, 1920. Percy Lubbock, The Craft of Fiction, Scribner, 1921. E.M. Forster, Aspects of the Novel, Harcourt, Brace, 1927. The Novels of Henry James, Definitive Edition, Scribner, 1917. In particular, see Preface to the Ivory Tower. Graham Wallace, The Art of Thought, Harcourt, Brace, 1926. Mary Austin, Everyman's Genius, Bob's Merrill, 1925. Thomas Uzzle, Narrative Technique, Harcourt, Brace, 1923. F.W.H. Myers, Human Personality and Its Survival of Bodily Death, Longmans, Green, 1920. In particular, see the chapter on genius. Edith Warden, The Confessions of a Novelist. Atlantic Monthly, April, 1933. Percy Marks, The Craft of Writing, Harcourt, Brace, 1932. 177. 178 Becoming a Writer. S.T. Coleridge, Biographia Literaria. Various Editions. Conversations of a Kerman with Gaty, T.R. by John Oxenford, Dubbin, 1931. Longinus, On the Sublime, T.R. by W. Rise Roberts, Macmillan, 1930. Alexander Pope, Essay on Criticism. Various Editions. William Archer, Playmaking, Dodd, Mead, 1912. George Sainsbury, History of English Prose Rhythm, Macmillan, 1922. Charles Williams, The English Poetic Mind, Oxford, 1932. Anonymous, The Literary Spotlight, Doran. 24 English Authors, Mr. Thethurgill's Plot, Oxford, 1931. Douglas Beamont, Weaving the Short Story, Richard R. Smith, 1931. Ford Maddox Ford, It Was the Nightingale, Lip Inkett, 1933. Arnold Bennett, How to Live on 24 Hours a Day, Doran, 1910. T.S. Eliot, Selected Essays, Harcourt, Brace, 1932. Virginia Woolf, The Common Reader, Harcourt, Brace, 1925. Virginia Woolf, Monday or Tuesday, Harcourt, Brace, 1921. The Journals of Catherine Mansfield, Edited by J. McLevin Murray, Knopf, 1927. Storm Jameson, The Georgian Novel and Mr. Robinson, Morrow, 1929. Blanche Colton Williams, Handbook on Story Writing, Dodd, Mead, 1930. Henry Seidel Canby, Better Writing, Harcourt, Brace, 1926. Bibliography 179. Paul Elmer Moore, The Shelburne Essays, 11 Volumes, Coden Mifflin. Irving Gabbett, The New Leo Coon, Coden Mifflin, 1910. Lafcadio Hearn. Talks to Writers, Dodd, Mead, 1920. And, finally, those who read French will travel the number of these books by the works of St. Buve.
Rainy de Dormont, Gustave Flaubert, The Journals of the Brothers Goncourt, Jules Lemaitre, Paul Valéry, André Gide see particularly Les Fomineurs, or the excellent English translation, published in this country under the title The Counterfeiters, Knopf, 1927. Index. Advice, Frame of Mind for Taking, 61M-67 Art of Fiction, The, James, Quoted, 114 Artistic Coma, 134, 152-153. See also Hypnotic State, Mind, Stilling the Inducing, 163-169 Autobiographical Nature of Fiction, 30. Blocks, Writing, 2832. Character Development, 91 Confessions of a Novelist, The, Warden, Quoted, 126 Consciousness. See also Unconscious. Control Function, 48 Protective Function, 49 to 52 and Story Formation, 46 to 48 and The Unconscious, 57 to 58 of the Writer, 38 to 41, 44147, 148 and Writing Prepare a Shine, 140141 Control and Consciousness, 48 Gaining, of Writing, 75 to 79 Instilling the Mind, 164166 Courses, Writing, 21 to 22, 28, 86 to 87. See also Teacher's Creativity, 158. See also Genius, 181. 182 Becoming a Writer. Criticism in Courses, 86M-87 Self-Protection, 49M-52 of Work of Others, 99 to 104 Criticism, Self, 53. 89 to 97. See also self-examination of daily routines, 95 to 96 delaying, 56 to 57 method, 1994 of work, 82, 143, 145. Daydreaming, 69 to 71 dialogue, uses of, 91-92 difficulties, non-technical, 28, 34, 42, 43 inability to repeat a success, 29M-30 lack of fluency, 28 to 29 sterile periods, 31 to 32 repetitiousness, 113 triteness, 125, 126 uneven writing, 32M-33. Exercises for fluency, 72 to 74 and frame of mind, 66 to 67 in observation, 114-117 in reading critically, 100-103. In self-criticism, 92-95 in self-examination, 58-59-95-97129-130 in stilling the mind, meditation, 165-169 story writing. 140146 in writing on schedule, 76 to 79. Fiction writing autobiographical nature of, 30 importance of, 1920 and persuasion, 129 fluency exercises, 72 to 74 lack of, 28 to 29 and the unconscious, 71 to 74 Ford, Ford Maddox, it was the Nightingale, quoted, 141 N. Genius, 155159 actions of, 4241 characteristics, 38, 111 common to everyone, 157 and consciousness, 40, 41, 48 and creativity, 158. Index 183. Releasing, 158161. 163169 term, as used by f.w.h. Myers, 40 and the unconscious, 41,48,118,149. Habits changing, 
62-266 cents is dulled by, 111-112 workmanlike, 142-173-174 handbooks fiction markets, 175 pessimistic, 26 human personality, Myers, 150 hypnotic state, activities inducing, 160-161. See also artistic coma, mind, stealing the Imagination demonstration, 6466 versus willpower, 62M-66 imitation pitfalls of, 83 to 84, 1 to 1, 1 to 3, 4, practice, method, 105 of style, 138139 of techniques, 106109. Incubating period, 47, 160161164. See also preparatory period individuality and originality, 120130 innocence of eye of the genius, 38 recapturing, 114117 it was the nightingale, Ford, quoted, 141 n. James, Henry, the art of fiction, quoted, 114. Mackenzie, Agnes Muir, the process of literature, quoted, 125 meditation. See mind, stilling the Myers, F.W.H, human personality, cited, 150 mind, stilling the, meditation, 160-161-164-169. See also artistic coma exercises, 165-169 monotonous writing, counteracting, 108-110 morning, writing in, 72-74 music as a writing aid, 54. 184 becoming a writer. Non-technical problems, 25 to 34. Objectivity and self-examination, 58 to 59 toward own work, 143 observations dullness of, 111-112 exercises, 114-117 and the unconscious, 117-118 verbalizing, 117 one book authors, 29 to 30 originality and individuality, 120-130 and self-knowledge. 1 to 3, 1 to 4, 1 to 8, 1 to 9, source of, 119, 1 to 6. Personality factors, 25 to 41, pass him. See also consciousness, unconscious poiety, George's, the 36 dramatic situations, 124 popular opinion, self-protection against, 49 to 52, preparatory period. 140142. See also incubating period process of literature, the, Mackenzie, quoted, 125. Reading as an aid to writing, 55 56, 99 104 analyzing, 99 to 110 avoiding before writing, 72 to 73 to increase vocabulary, 109 work dissimilar to own, 175 recreation, wordless, 131135 repetitiousness, causes of, 112113 resistance, unconscious, 78 to 79. Routines, daily, 95 to 96. Scheduling writing, 75 to 79 exercises, 76 79 second wind, 71 to 72 and genius, 42 41 self-confidence, 87 self run me money on, 53, 84 to 85, 95 to 96. See also criticism, self. Index 185. Exercise, 58 to 59 and originality, 1 to 3, 1 to 4, 1 to 8, 1, 3, 0 questionnaire, 129, 130 self-protection, 49-52 sensations, dulled, 1, 1, 1, 1, 1, 2 exercises for, 1, 1, 4, 1, 1, 8 and repetitious writing, 1, 1, 2, 1, 1, 3 social activities as.
an aide to writing, 54 to 55 stationary, 172173 sterile periods, 31 stimulants avoidance of continual use, 96 coffee, 174 mate, 175 to writing, 54 to 55 story formation and consciousness, 46 to 48 process, 45 to 48 synthesis by the unconscious, 47, 160 story writing practice exercise. 142146 preparatory period, 140142 style. Unconscious imitation, 138139 unique, finding, 139140 synthesis of stories by the unconscious, 47, 160. Talking about writing, avoiding, 51 to 52 teachers, suggestions to, 86 to 87 techniques, studying, 106109 themes, dramatic, 1241286 dramatic situations, the, Bolte, 124 time, passage of, conveying, 106107 triteness, 125126 types and the incon. CS, 46 typewriting, 72M-73, 171172. Unconscious and Consciousness, 57 to 58 and Genius, 42, 48,149 and New Observations, 117118. 186 Becoming a Writer. Unconscious, Continued, and Resistance to Reading, 78 to 79 and Story Formation, 45 to 48 Synthesizing Function. 47 tapping and directing, 48 and types, 46 of the writer, 38 to 41, 44 using in writing, 69741401412, and written novel, an, Rolf, cited, 116 n. Vocabulary, increasing, 109110. Warden, Edith, The Confessions of A. Novelist, quoted, 126, The Writing of Fickshine, quoted, 92 Rolf, Virginia, an unwritten novel, cited, 116 and wordless activities as an aid to writing, 131 M-135 words, number of, 106108109 writer's characteristics, 3839, 147-148 self-doubt, 42-43 personality. Factors, 25 to 40 pass in writing difficulties, non-technical. See difficulties, non-technical writing of fiction, the, warden, quoted, 92, 